All right, grab your Bible and open it to Luke chapter 2 or turn it on and head to Luke chapter 2. This morning, we're going to talk about joy. But let me start with a question. Here's my question. Are you happy? Are you happy? Because we are really blessed to live in one of the wealthiest nations on the planet. Almost everything that we could ever want or need is at our fingertips. Everything that could make us possibly happy is here. Yet, we sometimes and oftentimes struggle being happy, don't we? We're not always happy. We're not happy all the time. Because happiness is man's way of trying to make sense of life and fill it with every comfortable thing so that we can have the life that we think we want. But it doesn't take long to discover that all that this world has to offer is only a mask to cover what our hearts are really longing for on the inside. Pascal said it like this, since we are always planning how to be happy, it is inevitable that we should never be so. See, if we have to plan all the time to be happy in our strength, we end up not being happy because it's all our work. It's all our striving. It's all our chasing after happiness. And you do that for a while and you begin to understand it doesn't take long before you realize, wait a second, I'm just chasing the cart here. I just continue to, to try to work myself up to a lather of happiness or buy something new or do some new event that tries to make me happy and I just have to keep doing that. Well, the night that Jesus came into our world, the angels made a marvelous announcement to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. They said that Jesus, this little baby, would cause great joy for all the people. Not great happiness, great joy. See, when God left heaven and came here, he brought many gifts for mankind. Happiness was not one of them, but joy was. Because God knows that joy is bigger and more important than happiness. Now today, our theme is joy. Our third Advent theme is joy. Our third candle is joy. And we will celebrate the joy that Jesus has brought to our life all week. Now I want to remind you of something. You probably know this already, but I'll tell you anyway. Remember that everything Jesus has brought us and everything that Jesus does is exactly what we need in the moment. Always. Every time. Everything we need, every time we need it, it's always exactly what we need. But we will always fight these aberrations that the enemy of our soul brings in and out of our life that are close to the thing that God wants for us, but not quite the thing that God wants for us. And so we sometimes get sucked into it. That's like joy and happiness. Happiness is from man. It's from our flesh. And it's really easy for the enemy of our soul to work in our flesh and say, this is what you want. This is what you need. This is what will, will help you in this moment when it's really not. And so the enemy will always try to bring happiness into our life, and the Holy Spirit is always trying to bring joy into our life. Now, here's what's interesting. Happiness is based on the world. 
It's based on the material things of this world, what this world has to offer. And joy is based on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and what he gives to our life every day and trusting in Christ. Now, it's interesting as well that joy can often look like happiness. On the outside, joy can often look like happiness because it does so many awesome things really down deep in our soul. And when your soul is healthy, your whole life gets healthy. In fact, your, your, your face might even change. You might do things like smile more. You turn your frown upside down all the time. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so people that have great joy will often look like they're happy, but don't mistake it for happiness. It's joy. Because joy brings contentment. And when you're content and you know that nothing that this world can offer me can do what Jesus can do for me, then you have this resident contentment in your life that looks like happiness, but it's not. It's joy down deep in your soul, as we sang today. When you have joy, you know a life free from the distractions of this world. You have an identity grounded from the creator and sustainer of your soul. You have a purpose that nothing in this world can snuff out. And a life lived for the Savior of the world and the Lord of your heart. And you also have a fresh start every day in the power of the Holy Spirit. So joy will often manifest itself with a great big smile on your face because you know how to love people well. You even know how to love your enemy, how to love those that are rude to you and hate you and are mean to you. You even know how in the trials of this world and the really, really dark days in your life to let Jesus in and to let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you. And when that happens, you have joy. In fact, the joy is with you whether, you whether you like it or not. It just starts the process of growing something that's always been in you all along. See, joy is what Jesus came to bring because it's exactly what we need. Now, what we'll discover, I want to show you a couple verses where we will see joy throughout the Christmas story. More than just Jesus' birth day or his birth night, but there are several moments where joy is found in the Christmas story. But let's start on his birthday, on the night of his birth in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And let's look at the things that were happening and the joy that was brought. I'm going to start at verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now let me stop there. So the angels come, they show up, big deal. I, I find it interesting in scripture. Have you noticed that almost every time an angel shows up on the scene, what's the first thing they say? That's right. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Why? Because most of us are not normally in contact and in relationship with angelic beings. They, they must be fairly awesome. Because when they show up, 
the response that humanity always has is to be terrified, to be completely afraid all the time. This would be like when the 49ers play the Seahawks. That's how the Seahawks fans feel, terrified, afraid, <laughs> struggling to make it through the day, right? That's, 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 for those of you, you understand what I'm talking about if you're a Seahawks fan. But here's what's interesting. The angel says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for you. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. Now look with me very quickly. The angel said, joy is coming, but joy is Jesus. See, if the angels wanted to make them happy, the angel would have said, today, God's going to give you a thousand sheep. A thousand sheep would completely change their life and make them totally happy because they could sell those sheep and become very wealthy. That'd be a great, a great gift for a shepherd. But that would only be happiness because you could lose that money overnight. You, you could lose your sheep. A wolf could come and eat them all up. A whole flock of wolves could eat all the sheep in a night. And so the angel said, I'm not coming to bring you something fleeting. I'm not coming to bring you something that could fade in an evening. I'm coming to bring you something that will last your entire lifetime. In fact, not only will it last your lifetime, it will be eternal. I'm bringing you eternal life. I'm bringing you joy in Christ. Now, next, the angel says this. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, the angel says this. Hey, listen, you're going to go look for this baby. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it clear to you which baby you're looking for. You're going to look for the baby that's in a stable or maybe in a cave cut out of a, a hole in a hill. And this baby is going to be lying in a feed trough that normally the cows would be eating out of. Now, that's a good sign because normally babies at that time were born where? In a house and mom's in there and grandma's in there and the ants are around and everybody's ooing and cooing over the new little baby and, you know, selfishly, can I hold him? Everybody's, you know, just all happy and joyful. And the shepherds are like, okay, we're not looking for that scene. We're looking for some little baby in a cow's feed trough. Well, that shouldn't be hard to find. Let's just go run around the stables and whichever one has a baby in it, that's him. That's the savior of the world. That's the Messiah. That's my joy. That's crazy. That God would come in that setting, in that way, at that time. And he'd say it to the lowliest people in society, the shepherds. They're the bottom, by the way. They're the bottom feeders. In society, they're outcasts. They're smelly. They're stinky. Nobody likes them. They just hang out on the hillside. They're kind of like weird Uncle Al. They're just hanging out out there. And God comes and visits them. And in verse 13, it says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning him. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So the angels declare that joy is Jesus. They see joy. They see Jesus. They begin to overflow, and their joy spills out all over town. Because they're so excited and because they're so full of joy, they begin to just knock on every door in town and talk about the Messiah. And then when they get back to the sheep, they just praise God all night because joy is overflowing out of them. It's something that joy did in their life. This is a great example of joy at Christmas. In Luke chapter 1, there's another moment of joy. When Mary uh, uh, is pregnant and she realizes, I probably should get out of town for a while, <laughs> she goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house. Now, Elizabeth is pregnant. She's older now. She's not supposed to be pregnant because she's old. And Mary's not supposed to be pregnant because she's not married. <laughs> and they get to hang out together. But there's this moment in Luke chapter 1 that is recorded in Scripture that as soon as Mary's voice is heard by baby John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb, there is joy. It says this in verse 45. When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. John the Baptist, even before he was out of the womb, is already leaping for joy because his Savior has entered the room. There's also another group of people in the story about Jesus' birth that are overwhelmed with joy. And let me tell you about their joy, because their joy is not just a moment. It's not just a fleeting uh, thought or thing that happens. Their joy changes their lives drastically, and in fact, the joy is so great that they, cho they choose to make some big decisions because of their joy. And that is the wise men. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 to 11, it says this. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now the wise men are overjoyed. But here's what's interesting. Their joy didn't start this night. Their joy started on Jesus' birth night when the star first appeared in the sky. Because the wise men were people that looked into the sky and they used the stars like astrologers to look at the stars and declare things about what was happening on earth. And in, in a weird way, they believed in false gods, but they would believe that the gods would sometimes move the stars in the heaven to, to send messages to people on earth. Now, it's possible, it's possible that these men are of the same, like, working class as Daniel in Babylon, and that they are from a distant land that far away. 
Now, when they saw this star two years earlier, they were so overjoyed that they believed that that star declared that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords had just been born on our planet. Now, because of that, they, and because of that joy inside of them, they made a decision that we need to take a trip to go see him. Now, today, we would just say, what? Well, gas up the car and let's go. Or buy a plane ticket. We'll be there tomorrow. It didn't work that way in the first century. In fact, in the first century, if you wanted to take a long trip, it normally took you about two years to accomplish that. That's why we don't see them getting to Jesus till two years later. Why? Because you have to grow an entire crop for two years so that when you take your enormously long trip, you have enough feed and you have enough animals to make it all the way there and all the way back. You have to prepare. You have to prepare your servants. You have to prepare yourself. You have to prepare your animals. You have to prepare the trip. It takes a lot of preparation to do that. And so that's what they did. And they finally get to Jesus. They're overjoyed and they give him their gifts. See, joy is something that we see all throughout the Christmas story. But in these people's case, they, they went through a lot to make that joy a reality. Now, I think joy is something that you and I need today. I think every one of us needs joy. In fact, uh, like me, you probably have noticed that our world is experiencing a spike and a rise in anxiety, depression, mental issues that are serious and real. And the good news this morning is we have an answer for that. It's Jesus. It's the joy of Jesus. It's this baby born at Christmas to save our soul and heal our heart. Now, we're going to talk about two things during the next two weeks that Jesus came to bring that I believe is God's provision for mankind's mental healing and an answer to our anxiety and our depressing seasons. Those two things are joy and peace. These two things in particular work themselves out in the deepest part of our soul, but also resonate daily in our mind because they are based on what we believe and what we're thinking and how we're thinking about how life should work. See, there are times that joy and peace all have to be, are all we have to hold on to. And we also discover that it's all we need. See, joy and peace are the response from God for the mental challenges that we face throughout our lifetime, and we all will face them. Every single one of us in this room, at, at one point or another, will face a challenging mental time in your life. And you will need the joy and the peace of Christ to be resident in your soul to make it through that season because it will be really difficult. But Jesus came to give us all of the things that we need in every single season of our life. That's why he brought joy. Now, in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, our, our theme verse for Christmas, I want to show you something very unique. It, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, 
so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I are called to be filled with joy. God wants to fill us with joy all the time. Now, here's what's interesting. This word for joy is a very interesting Greek word. You probably know the New Testament. It's not written in English. It's written in Greek. It's translated to English. So when you look at the original, you discover a a rich wisdom of the things that God was communicating to you and I. The word for joy is the word hara. It's spelled C-H-A-R-A, but you pronounce it hara. And this is the word that is most often translated joy. But every Greek word, like every English word, has a root word. And that root word, lots of other words can be formed from that root word. That root word in Greek is the word hero. And it means to be glad or to rejoice. But out of that root word hero are many other Greek words, like the word haris, which means grace. The word uaharistio, which means give thanks. The word harizomai, which means forgive. And the word harisma, which means gift. Well, this is extraordinary. This is a very interesting combination of thoughts and truths intertwined together that God has given us. If I was going to put them together, I would put them together like this. As we give thanks for the grace of Jesus in our lives, we begin to forgive others and the gift of joy becomes our new reality. As we give thanks for the grace of Jesus in our lives, we begin to forgive others and the gift of joy becomes our new reality. One of the things that's just so awesome about God's word is how much God is always communicating to us as we study it and dig into it. Joy is is so interesting to try to explain. It's kind of like a diamond. It has all kinds of facets to it. And when you look at it from all kinds of different directions and ways, you, you see something new all the time. And I want to show you some of those facets this morning that reveal the glory of Jesus and his work in our lives. The first facet of joy is this, that joy is a result of trusting God. All year we've been talking about trusting the Lord and whether or not you trust the Lord or whether or not I trust the Lord and discovering, is this something we really are doing today? And in Romans 15, 13, it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy as you trust in him. We talked about this last week, that trusting in Jesus is one of the things that helps you and I have love and joy and peace and hope. Now, because we trust in God, we have joy. And this is one of the true mysteries of God. It's a mystery of God that becomes a reality in our life as we trust in the Lord. When we give the Lord our lives completely, joy becomes a part of our life. Unspeakable joy. It's a joy that Philippians 4 says, sometimes you can't even comprehend it. 
And, and it's so uncomprehendable, yet it's so miraculous, yet it's so marvelous, it can actually destroy your anxiety, Philippians 4 says, and give you not only joy, but peace at the same time. See, the wonder and glory of Jesus gives us joy. And as you overflow with joy out in your life, you begin to embrace the person of Jesus and the life that he brings to you and to me. There's a great story about trusting in Jesus and what it does to us in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, I'll just shortly tell you the story. Paul and Silas are in jail. They're in jail because they've been talking about Jesus all over the town of Philippi. And there was a slave girl who was demon-possessed, and she was following them around and yelling at them about being Jesus' followers. And so Paul turned around and cast the demon out of her in the name of Jesus. And the men that owned this slave, who was like a person that would you know, read your palm and tell you your future, because she was demon-possessed, she would do that for people and make a lot of money for the men that owned her. And so that, that income stream was gone in their life, and they were really upset about it. So they drug Paul and Silas into court, and the court decided that their punishment was to be beaten and thrown in prison. So they were nearly beaten to death and thrown in prison for casting the demon out of someone <laughs> in Jesus' name. And so here they are stuck in prison, and you would think that they would be moping and angry and anxious and frustrated but they weren't. The Bible tells us that in Acts chapter 16, in the middle of the night, they just start worshiping. And they just start praising God and they just start singing to him. And in the middle of their songs and in the middle of their singing, which by the way, this is a good reason why you and I should sing, the prison doors bust open. The chains bust off their life. It's a good reminder that when you and I sing and when you and I worship, it's pretty powerful. It can break the chains that you and I are stuck in. It can open doors spiritually that you and I have not seen open simply by believing and singing and praising the God that we love and that we know. Worship is a very powerful thing. And in the middle of their joy and in the middle of their worship, they're busted out of prison. Well, in those days, if you were the guard uh, on duty and a prisoner escaped, Normally, the punishment for that was crucifixion. So you would be crucified, which was a torturous and horrible death at that time, as we have seen from the life of Christ. Well, the jailer is getting ready to fall on his own sword because he'd rather die that way than be crucified. And Paul yells out, hey, don't kill yourself. We're all here. None of us have run away. So they bring lights in. And Paul and Silas get to go home with this man. But in verse 34... In Acts chapter 16, this is what is recorded about that moment. It says this. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When the Philippian jailer put his trust in Jesus, he was filled with joy. This is a good reminder that when you and I put our trust in Christ, joy can come into our life and overflow out of us. The second facet about joy is that trials, suffering, and persecution reveal the joy in our heart. Now, you may be thinking what I am. I don't need joy all that much if I have to suffer to have it revealed in me. 
I'll just, how about just hope, love, and peace? Let's leave joy out. That, you can have that one, Lord. I'll, I'll, I'll just not have joy if, if trials, suffering, and persecution are included with joy. Well, that's not really what we mean. But it means this. The trials and the suffering and the persecution, they reveal the joy. They reveal what's going on in your heart and what's resident there already. And it helps your joy grow. I'll explain that in a minute. Now, you may think, I'll just do without the trials. I'll just do without the suffering. I'll I'll go without the persecution. Well, let's do a quick reality check. Can you actually do without those things? No, you can't. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. Trials are coming. Suffering's coming. Persecution, maybe not if you're not a Christian, but we all know every single one of us in this life will have hard times. We'll have dark days. There will be tough things that we will go through in our life. None of us can ever stop that from happening in our life. Even if we surround ourselves with great wealth and every possible comfort in this world, dark days are coming. They're still here. You cannot get away from us and you cannot get away from them. So Jesus came to bring us joy in the middle of those really hard times. Look at some verses that that talk about this. In Luke 6, 22 to 23, Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the son of man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Well, this is an interesting verse. Jesus says, hey, be super excited about the day that somebody hates you. Leap for joy for the day that somebody insults you. Be really happy when somebody calls you the F word. It's a great day for you. What? Jesus, what are you talking about? Well, here's what Jesus is saying. When you and I suffer, in particular, notice, notice this is a very important part of it. When we suffer because of Jesus. So when, when somebody hates you or insults you or makes fun of you because you believe in Jesus, Jesus says this, rejoice in that day. Because every single time somebody hates you, makes fun of you, or, or doesn't include you in their social circle, it's a reward for you in heaven. Now, how those rewards all work, we're not 100% sure. I don't know if it means a bigger house for you or a faster car in heaven. I'm not sure. But what we do know is it doesn't really matter because all of our rewards are going to go where? Right at the feet of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I want something to throw at his feet. I want something to give to him. And when I get to heaven, I want a gift that I can give to Jesus. And if that's all my reward then it's all worth it. But here's what's interesting. Jesus says, leap for joy for that day. Have fun when people are angry at you, when your enemy doesn't like you, when people make fun of you at school. Rejoice in that day because you know every single time that happens in your life, there's a reward in heaven for you. See, that's a mindset that changes you. It's different. In 2 Corinthians 8, 2, it says, 
in the midst of a very severe trial. Now, not just a normal trial, a very severe trial. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in generosity. Well, thank you, Jesus. Sign me up for extreme trial and great poverty. I'm all in. How about you? Do you get what God is saying? That in the middle of a very severe trial and extreme poverty, you can still have joy. How in the world could that happen? Why in the world would anyone in the midst of a very severe trial and extreme poverty be joyful? Because they understand something different, and that is that the things of this world, they don't matter. Whatever's happening now, it doesn't matter because you can't take Jesus away from me. And so when you and I live in this different state of mind and understand how miraculous and marvelous and extraordinary our salvation in Jesus Christ is, then we're not dictated by the material things of this world. doesn't matter whether we're wealthy or impoverished. Joy is the same because our joy is in Christ. There's also an interesting grammatical fact about the word for joy. The word for joy, that word that I was telling you about earlier, sometimes the word has to do with our, our emotions or our feelings in the moment, how, how we are feeling and whether or not the joy of the Lord is coming out of us. But there's another reference to that word. Sometimes it talks about the source. So what's the source of your joy? And in James chapter 1, verse 2, he says something interesting. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, in this instance, the word joy is the source. In other words, what's bringing the joy is trouble. That's interesting. How could trouble be the source of the joy? That doesn't make sense. How is a really difficult time, trouble in my life, become the source of joy? Well, let me explain that for a minute. Joy is the source of our life when we are in trouble because Jesus is the source of our life. Let me explain with an illustration. There is a, a tree that is in the forest called the lodgepole pine. They're beautiful. They're enormous. They get really tall. Not every pine forest has the lodgepole, but where Kate and I moved from down in Klamath Falls in Oregon, southern Oregon, northern California, there's a lot of lodgepole pine. Now, here's what's interesting about the lodgepole. It drops its pine cones all over the forest, but they just lay there dormant for decades until a fire comes through. Because the forest has to be 800 degrees for the pine cone of a lodgepole pine to open up and drop its seeds on the ground. We also live in the Northwest, 
And most of the bulbs that we plant in the fall, they germinate when? In the winter, when it's cold, when there's trouble in the ground. And later, this beautiful lily will come up or a tulip. But that germinates in the winter, in the cold, in the harshness of the ground. So the lodge pole, it, it doesn't even, the life doesn't even come to life until there's a, an enormous fire raging through the forest. But what do we do as humanity? Put it out, put it out quick, put out the fire. We don't want trouble. And God's going, wait, what are you talking about? I'm trying to put the forest to life. Why, why, are, you, why are you stopping life from happening? That's what joy is. There's joy in you. If you've said yes to Jesus, then there is joy in you. But here's the challenge. That joy doesn't come to life sometimes or overflow or really become resident in your life until you're in the middle of a troublesome time, until you're in the middle of a fire. That's when the joy really is revealed and it really comes out because it's in that moment that you need the joy. It's also in that moment, if you really love Jesus, during that troubled time, you press into your relationship with Jesus. You seek him out. You study his word. You memorize it. You find some promises to stand on. And you just pursue Jesus with all of your might. And when that happens, joy becomes a big part of your life. That joy that we're talking about, it happens in the middle of trouble. It happens in the middle of a fire. It happens in trials and persecutions and sufferings. It's not a great facet about joy, but it is the truth. The third facet about joy is joy is a way of thinking formed by what you believe. Joy is a way of thinking formed by what you believe. What we believe changes the way we think. And what you believe about Jesus what you believe about his life in you, what you believe about the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit working in your life, when you believe those things and you believe God's word, your thinking changes. The way you think about yourself, the way you think about life around you, the way you think about everything in this world, it completely changes. Now, here's what we notice as we read through Scripture. Jesus had joy. He was full of joy. He had perfect joy. Because his mind was fixed on the Father, and he knew what to believe, and he knew what not to believe. This is a very powerful tool in our life. When you know what to believe, and what you know not to believe. And we discover that from reading God's Word over and over again. That's why we read God's Word all the time, and continue to get it in our heart and our mind. Because regularly, we need to know what to believe and what not to believe. But here's what else is true. Jesus was so full of joy that we see a pretty interesting rowdy crowd that follows him all the time. Tax collectors, prostitutes, social outcasts of the world, those that need healing. It's because he had joy and he had a new kind of hope, love, and peace that they had not seen in any other person. See, this group of people in particular, tax collectors and prostitutes, they're looking for the next great fix. They're looking for the next little bit of happiness. It's almost like an addiction. So 
when they saw Jesus, they saw the real thing. And they said, this is totally different. This guy's different. What he's talking about is different. What he's declaring is different. It's not a quick fix. This could change my life forever. I need to hang out with this guy. Now, joy becomes a regular part of our lives because a relationship with Jesus changes the way we think. It changes what we believe. He changes our mindset about life, what it means, what's important, and what, frankly, just is not a big deal anymore. Jesus does that. When you understand that you are created by a loving Heavenly Father, then you believe that you are special, that you're unique that you're a vital part of this world and the next. See, life with Jesus gives you vision and purpose for today and tomorrow, and that gives you joy. Vision is a way of thinking about your future. And when your future is focused on Jesus, then your future is secure and full of joy. We know that this world and everything it offers falls short of what we need to live a healthy and hope-filled life while we're on earth. That's why Jesus came to give us joy. He came to give us joy that would help us stop chasing and striving for wealth, the American dream, the next great material thing, the next iPhone, whatever puts your heart or mind or you think does put it at ease. And it ushers in a very daily and practical joy. When you live for Christ, there's an ease to life. The weight of the world falls off of you. It falls off of your mind and your heart and your life when you focused on Christ, and it's replaced by a joy that is discovered as we live in the Spirit. When Jesus is the foundation of your life, joy is too, because Jesus is joy. In fact, when we live differently, when we have joy it causes the outlook on life to completely change. Pastor Kate talked about this last year when she talked about joy, that a great acronym for joy is this, Jesus, others, yourself. Jesus, others, yourself. See, when you and I have joy, it, it changes our thinking. It changes what we believe, and that's a great facet of joy. The fourth facet about joy is that joy is a fruit of life in the Spirit. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and on. Now the fruit of an apple tree is an apple. The fruit of the pear tree is a, per, is a pear. Fruit of a grapevine is a grape. The fruit of living in the Holy Spirit is joy. The fruit of life in the Spirit is joy. The Holy Spirit in you grows joy. If you're living in the Spirit and you're letting the Holy Spirit work in your life, you will grow joy. You'll grow love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You'll grow all those nine things and a whole lot more. See, joy is not the result of being human. It's the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Happiness is a human trait. But happiness is only a part of our lives 
when things are going our way. See, happiness is fleeting. It's based on our exterior circumstances. And when Jesus was born in a stable to a young teenager, he brought joy. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, it brought us joy because we were filled with the Holy Spirit when we believed in him. See, joy is far superior to happiness. And joy is a part of every believer's life, no matter what is happening in life. In fact, when things aren't going well, joy gets better. It gets bigger. It gets stronger. It gets powerful in your life when you trust in Jesus. Joy is the fruit of life in the Spirit. Would you stand with me? I want to end with this question. Is joy growing in your life? Is it growing? If you're in the middle of a tough time right now, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Because it's evident every day whether joy is there or not. See, joy will grow when you believe in Jesus. Joy will grow when you live in the Spirit. And it doesn't matter what the exterior circumstances are, whether they're good or bad. It doesn't matter. Because you can't take away the things that God has deposited in your life. They're always there. They're always resident. They never leave you. They never forsake you. They're always ready at a moment's notice. Christmas just happens to be one of those times where we talk about joy more because it's what Jesus came to give. It's what he brought and it's what we see. So I hope that joy is growing in your life. But I also know this, that as followers of Jesus, you and I are in a battle. And it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing that you and I are fighting on a regular basis. So on a regular basis, the enemy of your soul is trying to rob your joy, trying to replace it with happiness so that you'll be, you'll have fun for a moment, but then it'll fade away and you'll be angry or upset or depressed all over again. And you'll just continue in that cycle. God wants you to have joy, a real joy that's just always there. And so sometimes the enemy, he does whatever he can to rob you of that joy. And maybe you're here right now and you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's been picking on you and he's been robbing your joy. And I want to encourage you. If you want joy, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Keep your life and your decisions focused on his word and seek out the Holy Spirit every single moment of the day. And that joy, it'll grow again. It'll grow over and over again until it overflows out of your life. And the only thing that people see is the joy of Jesus flowing out of you. Would you pray with me? I want to ask two things really quick before we go in response to God's word and the Holy Spirit about joy. There's two reasons you wouldn't have joy. The first one would be if you don't know Jesus as your Savior yet, that joy's not in you. And so if you 
If you want that joy to be in you, it has to start there. It has to start with you saying yes to Jesus. Saying, I, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. And that can happen today. It's as easy as just saying yes to him and saying a prayer and committing your life to him and trusting him. So before we move on, I just want to ask, there might be someone here. Do, do you want to trust in Jesus? Do you want to believe in him? Do you want to say yes to him for the first time? If you do, would you just raise your hand right where you're at? I'd love to pray with you. Okay, second. Second, the enemy might be robbing your joy. He might be trying to steal it all the time. And you would just say this morning, I, I want my joy back. And I need to focus on Jesus and let the Holy Spirit fill me afresh. And I, I want that today. And so if you would just like that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit and of that joy, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. All right. Several of you over here and in the middle and over on this other side. Great. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I just, I want to pray right now for those that have raised their hand. I pray, Jesus, that you would fill them fresh with your Holy Spirit. That as they leave this room today, they would know that Holy Spirit, you are working in their life. And all this week, they're going to have moments where Holy Spirit, you are depositing joy into them. And at the same time, the enemy may try to steal it, but Lord, I pray that they would hold on to it. They would keep their eyes focused on you, their heart and their life full of the Holy Spirit, not live in their selfishness or their flesh, but live full of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would be with them, whatever's going on in their life right now that might be robbing that joy. Lord, I don't pray that you would deliver them from that circumstance because that might be exactly where you want them so that they will recognize how much they need your joy and how much they need to press into you. But I do ask that in the middle of it, Lord, you would be right there with them. They would feel you walking beside them. They would feel you carrying them at times. But they would know the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit living with them every moment of the day. We thank you, Jesus, that you left heaven and you came to earth so that we could live lives like this, that our lives could be full of you instead of this world and instead of ourselves. So Lord, help us to be full of joy, especially at Christmas. Would you help all of us to just overflow with the life of Jesus, that people that we know, that we influence, that we work with, that we are neighbors to, that they would see the joy of Jesus just just coming out of us. May our words and our actions and our body language and our smiles just show the world joy. And Lord, whenever a trial or a persecution or something tough happens in our life, may we find ourselves growing in joy because it's in that fire that the joy of the Lord becomes our strength and is revealed to those around us. We give you thanks and praise, Jesus, that you came to bring us great things, and these things never fail us or let us down. Thank you for your joy, and we'll celebrate it all week as we study our Advent journal and as we study your word. Help us to be stuck in your joy. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. We all said, amen. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. Thanks for coming this morning. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.